Long days and no drumstick make for short fuses. And this fateful Monday, my fuse was as stubby and hungry as they come. Where are the drumstick vanilla cones? Take it easy, Sonny. Where are the drumstick vanilla cones, please? Yes! Sweet, creamy, crunchy, crispy, decadent deliciousness. <clears throat> Sir, I can ring you up. In my preoccupation with scoring a drumstick, I had forgotten my wallet. Uh, do you offer buy now, pay later? Another day, another drumstick. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. With blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to the 200th episode of With Friends Like These. I wish I could say it does not feel like it's been that long, but it really does. And to celebrate the length of this journey, my guest this week was there when I started it. And he's been there like only a great friend can be throughout it. He's there when I need him, even if we haven't been in touch, and yet he understands everything. His name is Jamil Smith. He's a senior writer for Rolling Stone and a former colleague of mine at MTV News. We talk about friendship. We talk about reconciliation. We talk about amends. We talk about journalism. We talk about grief. Coming right up. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment all in one place. At Audible, you can find the largest selection of audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to new releases to celebrity memoirs, languages, business, and motivation, and more, like original entertainment from top celebrity creators and thousands of popular and binge-worthy podcasts. As an Audible member, you'll get one credit every month, good for any title in their entire premium selection. That means the latest bestseller, the buzziest new release, the hottest celebrity memoir, or the bucket list title you've been meeting to pick up. These titles are yours to keep forever in your Audible library. You will also get full access to Audible's popular Plus catalog. It's filled with thousands and thousands of audiobooks, original entertainment, guided fitness and meditation, and sleep tracks for better rest and podcasts, including ad-free versions of your favorite shows and exclusive series. All are included with your membership, so you can download and stream all you want. No credits needed. Listen while working from home, cooking, exercising, on a walk, or family activity, or just relaxing. I have actually been listening to Audible a lot. Um, I now guest on a Stephen King podcast, so I'm reading a lot of Stephen King. And I just finished listening to The Shining while I unpacked, which is maybe a kind of odd activity. And now I'm listening to Doctor Sleep, which is the sequel to The Shining. And I'm actually using it as a reward because I really hate unpacking and I hate breaking down boxes. So I am allowing myself to listen to Dr. Sleep only when I'm doing that. It's a, it's a little chore trick, if you will. And I'm probably going to need more than one book to do it. With everything you love to listen to all in one app, Audible is your playlist for life. Visit audible.com slash friends or text friends to 500-500 to get the Audible app. Audible.com slash friends or text friends to 500-500 to get the Audible app. Jamil, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to see you, my friend. It has been too long. It's always been too long, I feel like, since we've talked. And I'm having you on this week's show because it is our 200th episode and I have a, a couple of reasons. Uh, one, you're actually one of the reasons that this show exists, which I think you, did you know that when I told you? I think I knew that, but it, which is a peculiar thing to say, obviously, but I, 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 I think you've told me before uh, that, uh, that that in fact was the case, but, and I'm still, honored anew every time you talk. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, and we'll get into sort of the reasons besides just being an inspiration as a journalist, of course. Uh, and then the second reason I wanted to have you on is that we're at a transition point between our themes that we kind of pick every once in a while. Uh, we just finished up our good intentions season or, you know, month of months, a few months of good intentions. And we're about to dive into forgiveness and reconciliation. 
on a lot of different levels. It's it's looking like there's going to be a lot of criminal justice reform, which I don't mind that being a, a through line on that season. But we're thinking about it in a lot of different ways, too. Um, you know, the overarching idea is that we are at a time when we're maybe supposed to be doing that. Who knows? And I just think that you and I can have a conversation that sort of bridges those things. And you've been, because you've been writing a fair amount about some of those topics. Indeed. Indeed. It's, so I'm reminded of something that Brian Stevenson told me um, after John Lewis died. He was the, one of the first people, of course, who I wanted to call, uh, being that he and Congressman Lewis uh, knew one another, had talked with each other at length. There's a wonderful interview on YouTube if people haven't seen it. But I wanted to talk to him specifically about reconciliation, exactly what you mentioned. And I wanted to pull up the quote just to make sure I got it right. And what he told me was that, you know, we never demanded that people actually be held accountable for the native genocide, for slavery, for lynching, for segregation. And he added to me that, you know, you know, this compromise of 1877 that we saw, by the way, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and what have you argue against very shortly, mere hours before the insurrection happened at the Capitol on January 6th. They, that compromise of 1877 essentially let the South win the narrative. You know, the North, of course, preserves the Union in a physical sense, but the South is, it, it is, is allowed to not merely start a campaign of racist terrorism that lasts for generations, and, 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 and basically arrest any progress that was being made by African-Americans under Reconstruction. But also, it's, it, it allows us to ignore, because we're so distracted by trying to manage the problem of racism, um, it, it allows us to ignore, frankly, the racism that's already baked in. And it, and it, and it keeps us from truly facing the problems, the, the inherent uh, holes in the boat, as I like to call them, uh, that were here from the very beginning of the American project. And, you know, and, and, and persist even as we try to correct. I mean, Stevenson mentions the 13th Amendment doesn't say anything about ending white supremacy. And as Ava DuVernay's documentary noted very clearly, there are some loopholes in that 13th Amendment. Uh, and, and what he said, and it was this, I thought was beautiful in terms of encapsulating the mission of John Lewis. And it's something I think that we should take into, uh, account when we thought, when we talk about reconciliation, he says, what John Lewis does in 1965, of course, the year that you know, he got his skull cracked open on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma is trying to help America recover from a century of distortion and abuse and discrimination. And he got bloodied for it. And that, to me, is, it, it, there's no nobler omission uh, in terms of people who want to actually see this country improve, people who actually want to see this American project perfected. Uh, if, we, if we want to get better, we have to think about what's going wrong. We have to think about what's, what, 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 is, what is terrible about America and be willing to face it and not simply go along with this kind of jingoistic American exceptionalism that we so often promote or so often see promoted. And I think it's something we have to be very, very careful about because um, we also, it, it matters in also how we measure racial progress. Do we measure racial progress by uh, the fact that, you know, people post a black square <laughs> and feel better about themselves? Do we measure racial progress with, uh, you know, bills that, you know, maybe do a little, but maybe not enough? Do we measure racial progress in representation? The fact that we now have an African-American and South Asian vice president, a woman who certainly was, is capable of doing the top job, but running, nominating her for the top job seemed to be out of the question. <laughs> um, yeah, and that it's, 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 there's a lot of different things um, that we have to think about as we 
measure what racial progress is and isn't. And you know, ultimately, frankly, I think it's it's up to it's not up to people who look like me. I guess I'm going to start where my heart is, which is when I hear you talk about there is no reconciliation without um, accountability. Uh, I one of the reasons that we're doing this season the way we're doing it is what I've learned in recovery. A lot of people know that part of the 12 steps is you make amends, right? Like that's kind of almost a cliche that like you go around and you say, I'm sorry. Well, how it usually gets pictured is you go around and say, I'm sorry. You go around to the people you've wronged and you say, I'm sorry. That is not actually the way it works. It's a, it's uh, the amends for number. First of all, the amends are actually step nine. So there's, a ton of stuff that happens before that that has to do with getting what we would say your own side of the street in order. And part of that, and, and I, I think all you're going to see how all of this, you know, can be a metaphor here. You get your own shit in order because you can't really do things for other people unless you're straight, right? You also become ready to take full accountability for the wrongs that you committed, And you can't go ask people to forgive you if you're not ready to take responsibility. Like, you have to fully take in the wrong that you did. And forgive yourself, actually. Like, you have to kind of be in an okay place with it, meaning, I know I did that. I did that. I I think a lot about, yeah, if I may interrupt you for for a brief, uh, brief moment, I think a lot about that exact moment, the difference between, you know, forgiveness and acceptance. When I look at what, you know, Amy Cooper, you know, just did in order to get herself out of the charges, <laughs> you know, that uh, basically endangering this, 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 this poor black bird watcher was minding his own business. Yes. I mean, well, I mean, well, here's the thing. I mean, what she did was she attempted to use the police as a violent countermeasure to whatever it's been feeling, whether it was malice or fear or a combination of both. Uh, I'm not in her head, but the point is, is that she saw the police as a device, as a mechanism for her to act out these fragilities, you know, or to, to manifest, you know, some kind of protection for herself. And, uh, in, in knowing that she could weaponize the police against this black man was the racist part. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not simply like, okay, this guy is scaring me. And I think that he's, you know, trying to do something nefarious. No. I mean, obviously we know from the tape that she lied, but the point is if you take the police and use them as that force, and then you take a couple classes I mean, she, she, according to the recovery, she, I think she did a therapeutic program that included instruction about racial biases. That's according to the Times. I, I, I am astounded that, you know, she gets to take a class about how to be, you know, not racist or at least not to manifest racism in, as in the way that she did. And she gets completely off scot free. I didn't want her to go to jail because I think prison is such a it's 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 the same it's the same kind of device that she used. I mean, she 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 saw the cops as a way to to you know get rid of her problems, and we see too often prison as a way to get rid of our problems. But I did think that there was some punishment that could be afforded to to actually make her accountable and discourage further behavior. From her and other people. And so the process, when you kind of get to the ninth step, you've done your work to kind of get right with yourself, to get right on your side of the street, and you hopefully have become, you've accepted what you did. It's less than forgiving yourself than just being like, I did that. Yes, I did that thing that is bad. I stole that money. You know, I cheated on that person. I, um... However you want to wrong, whatever wrong is that you did, 
I, I did that. I fully did that. And I am now a different person, perhaps, but that's who I, that's what I did. Then you go to the person and you say something like, you know, I'm part of a program where we, we try to take accountability for our past actions. And I believe I have wronged you. And this is the way I believe I have wronged you. And then you say, have I left anything out? And that person gets to say, perhaps, other stuff you didn't know you did or you didn't remember. You know, what, if anything, can I do to make it right? And that person gets to say, and I've had the experience of someone saying to me, there's nothing. And I, I'm glad you're sober, but I, I, I can't forget it and I won't forgive you. And you have to be okay with that. Too often, you know, frankly, we've been, as, as, as I know writers like Kiesi Lehman have, have written about, I know we as Black folks have been indoctrinated pretty much you know, from, from the crib by this country to forgive white people. This is something we are taught to do. And is and as Kiese wrote, uh, I think it was about you know, right after Charleston, um, the Charleston massacre. You know, we are taught to forgive, and this is how we incorporate shame because we we forgiven someone who doesn't has not only not 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 never asked for that forgiveness, but also hasn't done the things that are required to earn that forgiveness. And we just do it because I guess the Bible tells us so. Mm -hmm. No, but I mean, in terms of these are things that we're taught. These are things that we're taught too. you know, like, like it, because it's, it's, it's a good and Christian thing to do uh, to forgive. When, you know, well, what if that forgiveness costs me? You know, what does that forgiveness cost me? You know, I've talked, I talk about it all the time, um, both the idea of taking responsibility for the stuff you do amends for and for good intentions not being enough. Um, and I think that anyone who's a regular listener has probably heard, you know, and understands the whole, like, I'm a part of the, the structure of white supremacy and I need to do something about it. Um, and this is where I'm going to bring up how you helped start the show. Uh because I think I was, I, prior to working at MTV News, I think I would have called myself a very, not just I was, you know, I'm still very to the left on economic issues. I'm, you know, uh, I would call myself radical on some issues and very aware of, you know, all the different kinds of racism and structural inequalities there are in the world. But I think I was not aware of my whiteness, if that makes sense. I wasn't as aware as I am today, at least, of how it functions in my everyday life. Like, it's one thing to say, like, yes, I'm white. I benefit from white supremacy. Right. Okay. It's another thing to be like, in my life, I get blinded. To things and the, the specific things I'm talking about have to do with working in the newsroom, which was so incredibly diverse. It's the most diverse newsroom I've ever worked in, and it was life changing because I saw what it's like to think of myself as a good journalist and a good pundit, and to be blind because you and some of the other people in TV news were the first people I heard say, "Don't count Donald Trump out." America's more racist than you think. And it's not a cynical thing to say. It's, it's really not. I mean, obviously, because it, A, because it happened, and B, because, you know, it, it, I take no pleasure, obviously, in being correct in that regard, but I, I was at the Javits Center on election night <laughs> covering the Hillary rally, and almost to a person, folks were saying, oh, it's going to be an early night, and and hey, you know, we're really confident in all this stuff. And I listen, I get that. I mean, when I'm watching my team playing a game, I'm 
usually confident that they'll win. But I, you know, I, Kansas City Chiefs thought they were going to win too. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it people. You can think all you want. You can have all of these, all of the confidence that you want. But frankly, you know, when that confidence is not supported by the facts of the situation, and I'm not talking about polls, I'm not talking about speeches, I'm not talking about flubs made during a campaign. I'm talking about the country in which these two people are running for president. You know, I mean, it, I. I do think that the, the the notion of surprise is overused in our business. Like, oh, I'm I'm so I'm so surprised, or I'm not so because I think that's like a defense mechanism that people use, and ultimately it doesn't have much, much utility. But I do think it is important to note why people weren't surprised about Donald Trump and the fact that we wouldn't be surprised if another one came down the pike. You know, I mean, one who is a little bit savvier, one who doesn't uh, have, you know, know, three marriages and and all kinds of, you know, untold debt and corruption in his background. Um, That person, you know, would be very, very dangerous, very dangerous because they could be doing some of the similar things as Donald Trump without all of the bombast. And this country is very easily distracted. And we could be witnessing all kinds of horrors being perpetuated, like we do on the state level, quite frankly, with Republicans, uh, all kinds of horrors being perpetuated, you know, without much interruption in our daily lives. There's been supposedly been a reckoning in newsrooms, right? Supposedly. Okay, for the for the listeners, Jamil has an expression of distaste and is shaking his head. I, I swear I read a bunch of articles. <laughs> and it is true that the New York Times had a revolt of sorts. Oh, and, and indeed. But the fact that there, that was even necessary in order to literally, you know, defend the sanctity of personhood of our the people who work there and other black folks who read the Times, you know, say, hey, having Tom Cotton write an op-ed is probably not the best idea in terms of, you know, even just entering a different viewpoint into the economy of ideas. Uh, it's, it's something that, um, that unfortunately was necessary because I, I, I was really waiting for a lot of the white time staffers to step up and be like, Hey, this is wrong. Um, we have people here who have gone through, you know, a, un, untold horrors and are dealing with un, 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 untold pressures, things that we certainly don't have to deal with working for this uh, newspaper. Um, and, and in you know, they just recklessly, I wouldn't say recklessly, because I do know that there was thought put into it, but I, you know, I, the, the fact that that was put on the page and you have, I don't know, like, does that represent a reckoning? I don't know if it does. I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a flashpoint. Um, and I think it's something we should pay attention to. And I think it's something that should provoke change if more critical thinking is done about why that happened. But, you know, that's not people getting hired. You know, people, I, and I mean, I, I'm all for people capitalizing the being black um, and, and all that. But I'm like, how about you hire some black staffers? You know, how about you hire some black editors? How about you, you know, invest some resources in growing your audience in, amongst African-Americans. That to me is a lot more significant than you changing the capitalization of a word. And, and it's gonna have a lot more enduring uh, positive effect than you, you know, saying, hey, we capitalized black and now we're down with the cause. Um, but I do wanna ask you like on the political side, like, do you think there's stuff that that people that newsrooms are missing outright? Yeah, yeah. I think that there is certainly um, the power of, you know, activists working on the ground, you know, until it manifested in protests across the country. Uh, I don't think newsrooms as a whole had an adequate grasp of where that movement came from. One of the reasons why I wanted to do 
the cover story that I did last summer for Rolling Stone, which is about you know the genesis of the Black Lives Matter movement, and have the women who started that movement reflect upon this particular moment. And as is is as we you know as we saw last last summer, it can be a tipping point or it could be a flashpoint. Those are two very different things. You know, it could be a tipping point for folks to um, you know feel better about themselves and you know hey we were out in the streets here's my i mean i've seen now <laughs> this is an interesting way to note it but i mean as, as a newly single person i've seen you know women with you know pictures of themselves at protest rallies with black lives matter signs and their dating profiles and I'm like, okay, if you want to signify that, like, you know, you have a certain particular politics, and I guess that's one way to do it. But guys, like, we have so much further to go here. And getting out in the street is about, you know, a very specific set of goals that organizers put forth, or depending upon that particular action. Uh, but it is just the beginning. And yes. It's easier for me in my lofty media perch for me to say that we're like the consultants of the political world. You know, we like to tell people, you know, what's wrong, but not actually have to go about the business of fixing it. And so I can respect that people might hear that and say, well, you're just, you know, you're a journalist for goodness sakes, all you're doing is telling stories. And I'm trying to, what I try to do, and I feel like what we try to do in our business is try to reflect the world around us um, and, you know, as accurately as we possibly can so that we can help people better have most useful information that they can, <laughs> that they can't going forward. And I, that's been my mission, um, you know, since I got back into this side of the, uh, of the media business. We have to pause this discussion in order to support it with ads. With Friends Like These is brought to you by BetterHelp. Did you know there is a national therapist shortage? On the one hand, great news, people are getting help. On the other hand, there's a shortage. A lot more people need help. Because maybe you've noticed we're in the middle of a global pandemic, suffering under circumstances humans were not built to endure. And if you're having trouble finding a conventional therapist in your area, try BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You will connect in a safe and private online environment, making it convenient, and you can begin communicating in under 24 hours. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling. You can send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get a quick and thoughtful response. And you have weekly video or phone sessions, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room or leave the house in general. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free of charge to change counselors if needed. The service is available for clients worldwide, and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. But if you need it, financial aid is available. And there's a broad range of expertise, which may not be available in many areas. There are licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, anger, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, and trauma. Anything you share is confidential. You can check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. So many people have been using BetterHelp. They are hiring additional counselors in all 50 states. Start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash friends. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash friends. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Birchbox. I do not, as a rule, wear makeup. If you have seen my Instagram live videos, you probably realize this. I am pale, I have blonde eyebrows and blonde eyelashes, and I have better things to do than to try and make my eyebrows appear. However, I care a lot about my skin, especially sun damage. I'm a redhead, my risk for skin cancer is high, I am always on the lookout for great sunscreens and great moisturizers. I love a good mask, but I don't want to spend time on websites like reading reviews or going to a department store and asking people for advice. What it boils down to is that like most of us, I want a simple and personalized way to explore my skincare options. I am less beauty obsessed and more as Birchbox puts it, beauty casual. 
And the best way to really get to know new products is with expert guidance from Birchbox. Birchbox is a service that exists to simplify all of the beauty and grooming products out there just for you. Instead of overwhelming me or you with every product out there, they only tell me about products that are going to be worth checking out for me. Every month, the experts at Birchbox select five deluxe samples tailored to your unique beauty profile, put together a cheat sheet that tells you what to use and how, and wraps it up in a beautifully designed box. You can test drive products at your own pace and on your own terms. And when you find something you like, you can buy the full size on Birchbox.com and earn loyalty points for doing it. And if something's not for you, you haven't spent time or money or effort finding that out. Join the Birchbox community today by heading over to birchbox.com slash with friends or use promo code with friends to get 50% off your first box when you subscribe for at least three months. That's promo code with friends at birchbox.com slash with friends for 50% off your first Birchbox. One more time, birchbox.com slash with friends, promo code with friends. Long days and no drumstick make for short fuses. And this fateful Monday, my fuse was as stubby and hungry as they come. Where are the drumstick vanilla cones? Take it easy, Sonny. Where are the drumstick vanilla cones, please? Yes! Sweet, creamy, crunchy, crispy, decadent deliciousness. <clears throat> Sir, I can ring you up. In my preoccupation with scoring a drumstick, I had forgotten my wallet. Uh, do you offer buy now, pay later? Another day, another drumstick. Coming right back. And it's funny. And I also, I want to note that diversity in newsrooms is met more than race. Um, I think one of the real weaknesses in American media is uh, disability representation in journalism um, or visible disability representation in journalism. Lord knows a lot of us have our mental health issues and those count. Um, and maybe we can talk about those. Um, but I feel like... Um, that's a story that that I I don't see enough, including like like I had Alice Wong's been on the show a couple of times. She's a disability rights activist, and she told me like in April when I was talking to her about COVID, she said, "You know what's going to be a problem is they're going to start rationing care." I mean, this is something that has been ingrained in a lot of folks who have been suffering things so much to the point that we it almost deadens the nerves um, at times. But yeah, yeah, it's not new. And here's where I want to sort of tell the other part of like why you inspired the show, how you inspired the show, which is, I think you were one of the first friends I've ever had who talked to me about race unvarnished. I could hear, I mean, I could hear it in your reactions uh, when, you know, when we talk about it, but you know, at the same time, also knew that you could take it. (laughs) You know, and and I think it, you definitely have to meet people where they are um, to a certain degree uh, with these conversations, at least especially when you are just starting them. Yeah. One of the ones I remember w- w- wasn't that uncomfortable, but it was just really eye opening to me was actually something that I want to call attention to because I want to make sure this is not happening as we speak, which is you told me a story, which I'm not sure if it was a story that actually happened about being the black friend. Which is that people wanting to talk to you about race? Actually, see, it was a fun. It's a funny meta story, right? But this was this was different. But no, it wasn't. That wasn't the case with you because we were not only partners in coverage. You know, you know, working for the same, uh, you know, the same, you know, the same purposes. But I think that in a yes, the same outlet. But I, I, I more broadly, I feel like the same purposes. And I think that. Yeah, it, it wasn't. I never felt like I've definitely had that feeling of being like sort of the black friend or the black employee, <laughs> or the black writer. Well, the thing that you told me is the th- a thing that got played out more visibly actually after George Floyd, which is that when you were like, you told me some story about how like you were watching a football game or something and like your friends like, so police brutality is really bad, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's also part of the nature of what we do. Like if someone's like, you know, it, it, I have a buddy who is this, you know, big Hollywood producer and, and screenwriter. And, you know, there's part of me that wants to talk to him about, you know, half the movies he's produced half the time. But then I have to like, you know, hold it back. You hold it back. He probably doesn't want to talk about work right now. Let's just hold it back. And 
Yeah. And that to me is like what people should consider when they're around people who cover politics for a living. You know, we come home. I don't really want to talk about that shit. All of these things have rushed into the press. And all of a sudden, white people want to talk about talk to black people in their lives about race, about the things that they maybe did not understand. And they have genuine some, you know, many times very good questions about what to do next. What can they do to help? What, where should they go? What should they be thinking about? And I'll tell you the one thing I, I told, especially my friends with kids, as I told them, I said, raise your kids to be anti-racist. That's the thing you can be doing right now. Now, you don't, I mean, yes, you can donate to this organization. You can, um, you know, change your media diet. You can pressure your Congress uh, men and women to pass certain bills. Um, and those are things that are important. You should be doing those things. But you spend the majority of your time at home with these children. Make sure they're being raised correctly. I feel like one thing that I feel like I'm telling my well-meaning white people is that they need to be conscious of their whiteness as an identity, right? Like that's part of how I function in the world. And at the same time, they need to see the individuality of the people of color around them. It's sort of almost a opposite kind of view, right? For one, I want to, for me, I need to look at the, tr- the forest and not the trees, right? For my friends, I need to see the trees because I'm probably just used to seeing one broad identity. And that's the thing I feel like I learned from you was you are Jamil Smith. You have your opinions. You have your desires. You have your experience. But that's what the joke about the black friend is, right? Is that I am not... (laughs) I know you. And that is a gift, by the way. I'm happy that you're in my life. But, and I think people probably just don't, I don't know. Like I said, it's sort of like, it's, it's it's the thing you saw after George Floyd when people were, a lot of black people were like, stop checking on your black friends. (laughs) Like, I mean. (laughs) Kind of, yeah, we were tired. We were tired. I mean, look, Ibram's book was out there. Uh, Ijoma's book was out there. There's so many different books you can be reading about race and how to be an anti-racist. Um, and, you know, there's there's programs and all kinds of history you can be researching and understanding specifically. But I, the thing I really wanted people to get during that time is, you know, the, the whiteness is, is elastic. It, it has been evolving over time and expanding over time. Uh, and why that is, understand? Like dig to the dig to the roots of why, you know, Irish and Italians weren't considered white at one point. Let's hear from our sponsors one more time. With friends like these, is brought to you by Olipop. Here's a fun fact: in Texas, all soda is Coke. The Midwest is pop. Most other places is soda. Here, it's Coke. Would you like a Coke? Yes, I'd like a ginger ale. And that is what I'd usually say because I've never liked regular Coke. Olipop has turned me around on cola. Regular Coke is too sweet for me. It tastes mostly like sugar. But Olipop's vintage cola flavor, I finally understand why people like cola. This is subtle and caramely without being too sweet. It tastes nothing like Coke, but I think it tastes like what Coke is supposed to taste like. And don't get me wrong, I love sugar in most of its forms, but I want my sugar consumption to be a choice. I don't want to have it like snuck into my drinks for no reason, like it is in Coke or soda or pop or whatever you want to call it. Olipop is much, much lower in sugar than conventional sodas. With only two to five grams of sugar from natural sources, no added sugar, the vintage cola has just two grams of sugar as compared to regular Coca-Cola, which has 39 grams of sugar. Their orange squeeze has five grams of sugar compared to orange Fanta, which has 44 grams of sugar. 
All of their products are non-GMO, vegan, paleo, and keto-friendly with less than eight net carbs per can. They are so confident that you will love their product, they offer a 100% money-back guarantee for orders placed through the website. And you're going to want to order through the website. We have worked out an exclusive deal for, with friends like these podcast listeners, receive 20% off plus free shipping on their best-selling variety pack, which includes that cola and also root beer and ginger ale and cherry cola as well. This is a great way to try all of their delicious flavors. Go to drinkolipop.com slash friends or use code friends at checkout to claim this deal. That is D-R-I-N-K-O-L-I-P-O-P.com slash friends. The discount is only valid for their variety pack. Olipop can be found in over 3,000 stores across the country, including Whole Foods, Sprouts, Kroger's, Wegmans, and Air One, but you're going to want to order online. This episode is brought to you by Public Goods, the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food, Public Goods is your new everything store thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. I am currently very into their cleaning products, and here I would include the cleaning of your house and the cleaning of your body. They all smell delicious and different, so I I don't think I smell like my kitchen counters, but I wouldn't mind if I did because they smell great. And I was looking on the site today because I'm here in Texas and uh, my pantry is suddenly very empty. So I need to fill it, and there are a lot of choices on public goods. Um, There is broth, nuts, tuna fish, chili, almonds, chocolate, coffee, so many things, and they all look beautiful. If you would like to try public goods, we have worked out an exclusive deal just for with friends like these podcast listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They're so confident you'll absolutely love their products and come back again and again. They're giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash friends or use code friends at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash friends to receive $15 off your first order. You know what I want to, I think the most important thing to integrate here uh, is um, 500,000 COVID deaths. And you and I had a little moment. um, Well, you and I have little moments all the time, but, uh, I think it's so easy to forget the enormous weight of grief that's on all of us. Some of us more than others. And some of us have more particular systemic issues to overcome. I got to understand and comprehend grief in a whole different way. Because normally, I experience grief when I lost something or someone that I wanted to keep. And in this case, I was not doing that. I was, you know, not, you know, without any ill will, but it was time to move on. And I was losing something that I definitely did not want any more in my life. And with doing that in the midst of so much death and calamity and loss, um, it definitely made me at times undervalue what I was going through or sideline my pain or whatever I was you know, enduring uh, for the sake of what is, you know, what, what's happening in the world um, and, and understanding grief only within the sort of definition that I had been associated with. But really people got to understand as I've learned that grief is something that 
it can manifest in all kinds of different ways. Um, and you can be grieving things that you think that you are happy to get rid of. You can be grieving things that you are eager to leave in the past. And, and that, you know, include, um, that can include, gosh, any number of things. I mean, it can include losing the daily interaction with your coworkers. It can include um, the, the time that you spent with your neighbors or your, 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 your community groups, the time that you spent with your dad at the football game. And that is worthy of grieving. I've also, you know, have experiences of other people in my life who are recovery for uh, various things uh, since then. And that education continues. And I just encourage people, you know, it doesn't have to be about racism. It doesn't have to be about misogyny or, um, you know, if you are uneducated about something in your life and you know that that something has a very big effect not merely on people who you care about, but also just on people in general. Just try to learn as much as you can about it because you will discover things in yourself um, that you probably didn't understand before, but also you'll expand your capacity for empathy. Goodness goodness knows we need more of that. Um, So I think, you know, it's a very long way of saying that, you know, you... And our friendship have helped make me a more aware, curious, and better person. And here's your last round of ads. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Stamps.com. You know what I would do with extra time and extra money? I would probably continue to stock up my pantry. I'm a little focused on that right now. And I would probably have to go to the store to do these things because we're still getting on our feet here in Austin and no one is delivering. So I'd need to stand in line. You know where I don't have to stand in line? The post office. And let's face it, taking trips to the post office is probably not how you want to spend your time under any conditions. That is why I recommend mailing and shipping online at stamps.com. Stamps.com allows you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. Send letters, ship packages, and pay a lot less with discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. Stamps.com has saved businesses thousands of hours and tons of money. I just moved a theme here, I know, but moving means you do a lot of mailing, a lot of buying things, a lot of returning things, a lot of change of address cards, but I don't have to go to the post office. There are other great things about stamps.com like saving money, but if I'm honest, I would pay to not go to the post office but I don't have to. Stamps.com is a must have for any business. Whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller shipping out orders, or even a giant warehouse sending out thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official US postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts of up to 40% off post office rates and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com. Instead, there is no risk. With my promo code FRIENDS, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in FRIENDS. That's stamps.com promo code friends stamps.com never go to the post office again there is there is one thing i wanted to make sure we we talked about a little bit which was i mean friendship and 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 bonds with people over especially over this these last you can talk about i would love to hear what your perspective is over these 200 episodes but and what you've learned about it, but also, you know, for the rest of us, you know, over the past year plus with, with living through this pandemic, how things have evolved. Um, and it's, that's something I, I want your audience to be thinking about as well. How, how is friendship, you know, something I think obviously is at the core of the mission of, you know, your show. How has that evolved for you? You know, what has your conception of friendship involved? Actually, maybe this is, sounds good, but 
to me, what this pandemic has done has shown me the value of people who will come into your life at a moment's notice. Like who don't need to be kept in constant touch with, but who will be there for you no matter fucking what. Um, because this, what the pandemic has done is made everyone available and unavailable at the same time. It's really blurred every boundary that people have between work and home, you know, between different friend circles, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just made keeping oneself together. And it's also made like for me, I should say like my schedule is, you know, whatever. I, I don't even, what is a schedule? What is a day? What is a day of the week? You know, whole like months have passed by for me. I feel like without me noticing. No, it's, it's, the thing is, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful to have, you know, friends who, you know, will be there for you, who know who will challenge you when the, the moment is right. Um, but also, you know, the friends who, who look, uh, the, I don't want a friend to ever be at my disposal. I just know it's like knowing that this person is out there who knows me. The, the value of being known is something that really, really you know, hit home for me this over the last year. You know, yeah, how loosely I think like some people use the term friend. And I've really taken to using it immediately for those people who really know me, who really know something deep about me who know my character and you know i advise people to rethink how they use that word and be more maybe perhaps be more judicious with it because being more judicious with it has helped me a little bit uh just value the people who truly are friends present company included um and, and understand their value. To me, that's such that's such a good point. And uh, I want to add that I think the reason why these friends that I can so this this way that I think about it in my sort of top level life is the people that I can emergency dial, right? But you know what those people have in common, besides the ability to call whenever I need them, is that that I they know me. You know, and, and, but also some of my best friends, like, I, I love the fact that we're still, you're always still getting to know someone. You always are. You always are. Cause we, we evolve from day to one day to the next. Um, so as long as you take friendship as an active process, you know, something it's, it's an action. Um, then I think that, you know, you're doing the right thing. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just thankful for what you've, you know, not only really done with the show, but also, um, you know, help a lot of folks, you know, I'm sure who listen to it, not really understand, you know, the conversations uh, that you've had with your, with your guests, you know, things that they're talking about in the world even better. But I do think that it's important to listen to this show because it's been a good meditation on what friendship is and and in why friends shouldn't always agree with you friends aren't enablers friends aren't sycophants friends are not acolytes you know friends are friends and that is a very different thing and it's a, honestly, I think it's a better thing than any of those things. I just It's funny. I said we were going to wrap, but I, I now I, I it could go on because the other thing that I feel is really important to say about those friends that are my best friends um, is not only yes, that they push back. In fact, a friend recently, I, I was upset. And the thing that she pushed back on is like why I was upset, you know, which was actually something I probably needed to think about. Right. Um, is that friendship is not a, I mean, we can say it's give and take, but it's, there's no fucking scorecard for it. It's, 
it's important, you know, when you think about a friend, you can only take in doses to reevaluate that friendship. It's like, if you can only take a certain amount of your friend, is that, is that really somebody that you want to be friends with? <laughs> is that somebody you genuinely be, enjoy being around? You know, a friend, it's not, it's not a loyalty contest. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not something you earn tenure for. <laughs> it's, 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 it, you should be there for, you know, you should have relationships in your life that, that help you blossom and that help you uh, produce good things in the world. You know, whether it be emotions or products or children or whatever you want to produce, uh, you know, you should have friends in your life who are, who are there to help nurture that, you know, and who want to be there. Because if you just want some, I would never want to be around somebody who would just take me in doses, you know, ever. I feel like I should add something really important, which is being that friend that people can call. There's a, you can do that. You can aspire to be that person. This is not just like, a oh, I have really good friends I can call anytime. You can make yourself into the person that people call. That is that true friend. And it kind of just has to do with willingness, willingness in a way to meet people where they're at. And what I have discovered, the gift of having people call me, being that friend to other people. I mean, that matters more than being able to call them, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it, it does matter. It does matter. And, and true friends will recognize your availability in that regard, but not ask you to sacrifice who you are for the sake of their comfort. It's all about acceptance, I think, on just both sides. It's acceptance of where people are at. It's acceptance of like what the relationship is. It's acceptance of it's, it's the ability to meet people where they are, no matter what that means. That's how people decide. I, mean, I feel like that's, that's, I don't know. I mean, friendship is pretty elusive too. I mean, maybe we should stop trying to nail it down because I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to define it out of existence in a way, but the willingness to be that friend that people call, there's not an instruction booklet for that. It's just willingness, genuine curiosity and genuine care and genuine acceptance. People will know. I am so happy to have had you on this 200th episode. Um, yeah, I mean, I am the person I am today because of you. And I know that I'm going to be the person I am in another 200 episodes because of you. And I can't thank you enough for being on today. Thank you, my friend. This week, we're highlighting two organizations on the ground in Texas, where the freeze is over, but the disaster is very much still unfolding. First, Austin Area Urban League, affiliated with one of the nation's oldest Black advocacy groups. They are at aaul.org. You can find out more and, of course, donate at aaul.org. And then there's a mutual aid group, Feed the People Dallas, founded and led by Black and Latinx women. They are at feedthepeopledallas.com. Again, that's feedthepeopledallas.com. And though the Urban League is a lot older than Feed the People Dallas, they both are founded on the same principle. You're not just giving money. You're helping to grow a community. This show is a production of Crooked Media. It is produced by Allison Herrera with assistance from Izzy Margulies. This episode was engineered by Louis Lino, and Whitney Pastrick is an advisor on domestic and financial issues. I hope she gets another doc. And now, more than ever, please take care of yourselves. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. 
mixed with blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar for the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.